Hey team, welcome to episode 57 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Today, we are going to talk about dating. No, we have not changed formats, and thankfully, we will not be providing you guidance on how to use Bumble or when to swipe left or right. Is that still a thing? Anyway, we're going to talk about sellers. Again, 56, we we came at you, and we're going to come at you again in 57 and 58. We are going to be talking to you about those first few meetings with a potential associate or a buyer and what you need to cover, what you don't, and our tips for making those dates, those meetings successful. Hello, Mr. Loretto. How are you? Oh, my God. I just had this major flashback, uh, you know, about a decade ago when I was single. This is before the bumble and the swipe left and right. I had to do like match and I got totally catfished <laughs> one time. Okay. Totally catfished. I'm so embarrassed at just telling this story. This girl was a pediatric thoracic surgeon that had a house in Beaver oh, Creek. Man. It was such a lie. She sent all these hot pictures. I was so excited, <laughs> you know? Oh my God. So yeah, that's me. That's me. Charles, he's I, been catfished. Put it out there. amazing. God bless Roxanne. We've advanced in, in our data. Maybe that's why I, I'm so scarred that every time I, I tell stories, I have this dating analogy. So that maybe that's something in there. I honestly, you know? so, like uh, there was a point in time when I was like, Charles, you need to get off the dating. Like we're talking about dating a lot. Like, like maybe <laughs> when he gets married, he'll stop talking about dating. I have literally come to believe like you were the king of these, right? Like dating, marriage, like whatever. I have found myself using them because there is literally always a comparison in the dental transition world with dating. Like even the, he's just not that into you. I've used that maybe this week. So they're my favorite. And so every, when I think about these first meetings, I just use dating. I, in fact, I was just on a phone call and we were talking about, they were going to have a secondary. And I was like, you know, I think it's time to like ask whose family you're like, you know, going to be celebrating Christmas with and like go meet the parents. And they started laughing, but they're like, we exactly feel like that's the situation we're in. So lots of good analogies and we'll use them many times throughout this episode. But our goal today is to help you understand the keys to these very critical meetings, right? So you're going to meet multiple times, whether you're bringing an associate in who's going to be a partner or you're bringing a buyer in, you as a seller are going to have these critical meetings where you're going to have to get to know the person. You're going to have to talk about your clinical philosophies, your personal goals. You're going to have to figure out if they're a good fit with your patients and with your staff and how you manage and all of these key components. And in these meetings are critical to do that. And we highly, highly recommend that you have multiple meetings and that you set up meetings at restaurants or coffee shops, see how they interact with waiters, see how they interact with their spouse. We want your their spouse to be part of this. Those are important meetings. And we're going to talk about those today, both the first and multiple, whether that takes a couple or, or those subsequent meetings and kind of what to talk about and what to cover there. I'll also caveat that we're approaching this episode as if you've listened to episode 56 and you got all your ducks in a row. Like, you know what type of transition you want, you know that your space can accommodate it. You've got your financial plan in order. So you kind of have your house in order and now you're just figuring out who you're going to invite in. So I'll make that caveat because if we don't make that, there's a lot more we could talk about, but we're going to focus in on, on assuming you know what you're doing. So I want to break this down into first meeting or meetings and then subsequent. So let's start with that first date. Break it down for me. Tell me what you would tell someone who says, hey, help, I'm meeting with someone for the first time. What do I do? 
Yes, I think just being, and I, I like your word of the year, intentional. So you need to be intentional about your meeting. I love going to this meeting with notes. You've got a, a series of six, seven, eight questions that you would like to ask, and you're interviewing them. Remember that people love to talk about themselves. So what your goal is just to get them talking. For the most part, they're probably nervous. They probably looked you up. And so give them a little bit of grace and credit, you know, through this process because they're young, they're in debt and they don't have any of this business experience. And so just make this at this point, very open and, and welcoming. Thank them for being there. Ask them about themselves. Ask them about, you know, being married and kids and family in the area, ask them about their dental school experience, or perhaps they're being an associate, they've been working, ask about that type of experience, ask them, you know, what they're looking for, just what is your vision as a young dentist, as it relates to potentially, you know, being an owner one day, what does that look like? And, and I think you mentioned a piece of this as well. It's like, what is your vision on expanding some of your clinical knowledge and training? Just get them talking, have just a list of questions and just literally like you were just interviewing them and what you're looking for. And we had, I thought was um, a really good interview today. We, right before recording this podcast, we interviewed a young lady and she's great, flat out, just excellent communication. And you may not, you know, in this case, from a dental perspective, she may not have good hands. She may not be great clinically, but man, could she communicate. You know, the difference between an A dentist and a B dentist that is doing really well, it's typically communication skills. It's not necessarily they got bad hands. I mean, hopefully training at this point, you know, you, you've got good technology and hands to, to make everything work. But communication is really important so that, that you really want to see their drive, their enthusiasm, their posture. Are they taking notes of everything that maybe you're telling them about the practice? Are they engaged? So just getting them to open up, brag a little bit about your practice. But man, this is not about you. Okay, this is not about how everything, how great you are and how wonderful you are. This really needs to be about them at this point and share some of those common goals. So when you find something that you've got connected with them, you know, they have a dog or they have a kid or they grew up in this area, find something of, of commonality. You can really reach in there and show that connection because, again, they're nervous. And so you're getting them kind of this warm and fuzzy. And now this relationship is starting to build. So on that first one, we don't need to share that you got a five op million three practice with 40 new patients. That's down the road. We're just relationship building on the, on these first interviews. Yeah. I mean, I go back to like that first date. Like what if you sat down at the table at a restaurant and the guy was like, well, I've got a four bedroom house and $600,000 a year. And I've got this much in my IRA. Like you'd be like, Whoa, buddy, I just need to know if we like are simpatico, right? So like that I think is important. And and you want to answer questions though, right? If it organically gets there and you're comfortable and the buyer's asking questions, questions, share information. Like it's okay. Right. Especially high level information. Like no one is going to do anything with the fact that they know you make a million dollar, you know, you have a million dollar collection practice. It's okay to share high levels. That's okay. But I think again, like you just said, the goal is listening and not just hearing, but listening and taking in what they're saying. And I'm going to say this again a couple of times and I'll, I'll focus this on more on the end too, but realize this is a very emotional process for you as a seller. And it's also a very emotional process for the buyer, right? So in that first meeting, if you don't have a relationship with them outside of this and the first time you're sitting down across the table or at a coffee shop or in the office with them, they're going to be nervous, right? So a lot of these questions and getting to know them, some of it's just to make them feel comfortable and allow them to kind of like release their shoulders and kind of say, okay, 
this is a person, I'm talking to a person. Every now and then you'll get a buyer who is just super confident and like has it and like can turn it on and you can't see they're nervous, even though they're might, they might be shaking in their boots and they've prepped all the way there and they've called us and they've talked to us about what to say to the seller that I'm meeting. You know, they've prepped for this meeting. I guarantee you they have. And so I just think it looks really good for you if you've also done your homework on the front end and if you just truly listen to them during those first meetings. Yeah. And, and to you understand too, that they may fail on the first date. Okay. So they may ask something that in your mind is inappropriate or say something's inappropriate. And I'm not saying that we just, we, we got to shut them off. I'm just giving them a little grace. This is the first time they're doing this. I mean, we all have children and you watch all their mistakes and you just can kind of shake their heads and just like at some point they'll figure it out. But if there's something that's there, you know, give it a shot. You know, don't just turn them off because they ask financial questions and quote unquote, it, it's not appropriate. And how dare they? We can coach you on what and how to respond to that. You can just something generic and just like, hey, on this first kind of date and interview, I prefer for us to get to know each other. I'm very confident in the numbers from collections to overhead. I got a transition plan put together for potentially us or whoever I bring in. So I'm more than confident. And when the time is appropriate, I'm going to share all that with you. Um, but for right now, if you don't mind, let's just have some nice conversations to make sure we're a fit. So you can lead in that perspective. It's not just, you know, that you're evading the question. It's just, we really need at this point to stay on track to get to know each other personally. That's what these first meetings should be all about. Yep, absolutely. And so when you we say first meeting, I want to clarify that this first meeting might be one meeting. It might be two meetings. Like when we say first meeting, let's give them some clarity there too. Yeah. So look, if it's a phone call between your 12 o'clock lunch hour and your one o'clock patient and it's just a phone conversation, I'm really not calling that a meeting. I'm just calling it to get to know perhaps over the phone. So I prefer somewhere in the several hours of this interview. I mean, it really would be nice that it's maybe it starts with the phone, then let's do some, you know, kind of a face. Even after hours, I always prefer after hours just because there's no pressure as far as what the next thing that we have to do. So and I think that, you know, I alluded to a little bit, it, it's okay that we're going to share the vision of what we have. I think it's also very important for you to interview them, to get them to share that vision, to, to make sure you're alive. If you're a million dollar practice and uh, you're 40 and someone says, I'm looking to own a hundred percent, that's something that we can pull out early on. And that's something too, that maybe you can jump in and let them know that that's just not where you are. Now you do have a vision of bringing them in, incorporating a partnership and growing it. But at this stage in your life, that doesn't make the most sense. But I still think it would make sense to continue because you never know that it could work into something. Sometimes people say things they just don't know. You know, people just don't have that, that experience uh, from the business side. And they read something, they heard something on Facebook, or they heard something from their classmate or somebody, and they're saying things and they sometimes just mess it up. I mean, I've had so many young people that tell me something. I'm like, dude, you said what? You know, you truly messed that up. I can't believe you said, it. yeah, he's not calling me back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can see why you offended him. <laughs> you know, the guy is a, I can think of a million, is, is a pedo practice in Florida. I'm like, I can't believe this guy did this. It's a million three practice at a 30% overhead. Okay. I'm not a math major, but I am. It makes a million dollars, $1 million. But the buyer was so upset because of the equipment on the first meeting and it turned them off that he said, my broker, actually he didn't say anything. He just had his broker send an offer in. So instead of a million, he sent him an offer for like 750 on a $1.3 million practice that netted a million dollars. Who cares if crap, the, the equipment's older and crappy? It makes a million dollars. That's 
communication that you just drop the ball and you try to advance that ball way too fast, build the relationship. Eventually, if we need to buy some equipment and offer something less than the guy's asking, we can do that. But you offend people when you don't have the relationship. Once you have the relationship, you can drop the ball a little bit and then ask for a little bit on the forgiveness side. So that's kind of my teaching on what the buyer, but the seller can equally mess up the opportunity when they meet. I just got the phone with um, a GPR that finished out of uh, Augusta and clinically just awesome. And he's interviewing some other practices. And I just think that he's the gym in this case. He is the gym. I, I'm looking, how do I incorporate this guy? So in that case, let's be flexible. Let's maybe give him a little bit more than we would a D4 coming out of you know Memphis or something in this case. So just you got to know what yourself, what you're getting yourself into and kind of manage this, these first, first relationships and uh, try to keep it as low level as possible. We'll get to the details, you know, as needed. Yep. And so if you are a buyer listening to this episode, episode three, we talk about the same type of interview, but from a buyer's perspective. So, and again, this is not rocket science. It's all the same concepts, just kind of from a different perspective. There is a little bit of a different perspective. You're coming at this from a seller standpoint or a buyer standpoint, and there's different things on the line, right? But again, like we talked about last episode, you're the leader here. You should kind of lead what the content and what the feel of a meeting is and where it is and you know what your expectations are of getting out of it. You should have an idea of what's in mind from those meetings. And I love the restaurant meeting. I love if we can ever eat at restaurants again. I love the coffee shop meetings. Like I love being able to see people in real time with interacting with other people, right? I mean, that's your patient based, you know, you like how someone treats patients and how they treat staff. And if you're on your first date and people treat a waiter bad, I mean, I don't know, that's something that says something for me. So, um, so anyway, or you like my daughter where she has the phone out at the whole time and is flipping out because she's on a multiple chat group uh, with uh, 15 of her friends. And I'm like, put the phone down, sweetheart. Uh, your dad's here. You know, if she's one of those, then we, we're going to have to like know that that's probably a problem. <laughs> you have to do that during the interview. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got, I mean, like there are other clues outside of just what you talk about. I think that so and can kind of give you some insight. Okay, so let's assume we've had a couple of really strong first meetings, we've had phone calls, we've maybe met spouses, we've met at the office, like we have a pretty good grasp on this person being a good fit for what we think we need or what we know we need. And so now we're kind of getting into this like second layer of meetings, subsequent meetings where maybe we're going to dive a little bit more into the nitty gritty, maybe we're going to share some numbers, maybe we're going to talk at the partnership, and we're going to talk more about what I envision a partner to be. So there's more of this kind of operational how-to or just kind of more of a uh, nitty-gritty. It's the only word I can think to explain of that. What are we covering here? What is now more appropriate? And what are we still kind of leaving to like, hey, let's let someone else do that so I can keep this kind of relationship that I've built with this person intact? Yeah. So I think even in those first meetings, just kind of selling the point that, you know, there is going to be a transition. We do have a plan, you know, for you. I've got a transition team that's in place. I've got some goals over the next, call it, you know, one, two, three years to not only help with the growth of the business from the marketing standpoint to expanding the chairs to my leases up. I was planning on doing the building. I definitely want my associates slash partner to be involved in that. So it's okay to share that vision. And to share some of, I'm looking for a partner that, you know, this is kind of from a clinical philosophical approach to be aligned. And so this, this is kind of my, 
my mentors and kind of my training system that I've had. It's been great for me, great for my patients. So I'm a periodontist. I like this laser system. I, I use this implant system as a surgeon. I use this maybe Invisalign product as an orthodontist. Whatever that is, it's okay to share a little bit of that early on. But then as we get to this point where it's appropriate to share, then yes, you let them know, hey, I've got a transition team in place. I want to start sharing some of the financials, not of what the collections are today, but what we need to grow the practice to kind of uh, break even uh, as I make the investment with the assistant, make the investment with the building, the equipment, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever operatories to support them. So I have some short-term goals here. And then uh, eventually we will value the business. And eventually my plan is to create some type of partnership with you or someone else. And this is my plan over that period of time. And so um, you're starting to lay that out and you don't have to go super detail here. You, you definitely want to lean on and This is a self-serving part of the podcast today. I have an NDP transition team. They will lay all this out. They know I'm talking to you. They know this is my third conversation with you. I'm ready to get them more involved and so that they can lay out uh, the exact plan for us. Then you make those introductions to your transition team and we're starting to communicate essentially with the potential associate slash buyer slash with you, then doing joint calls. So a lot of just joint communication about um, how this is all going to work and how both parties are benefiting. So I would say, Christy, that this relationship can go really fast and the relationship can go really slow. It, it, it kind of depends. The relationship can go really fast when you're aggressively trying to sell something that's been on the market for a long time and you find the periodontist that's coming to rule Indiana. We're doing probably all of this within two days, okay, from the meeting to the layout of how it's going to work because this is a unique opportunity and that periodontist may be high demand. It's, and it's not common that you're going to find someone go to rule Indiana. If it's a D3 student and it's going to be a normal transition in a, in a general practice, man, we could be dating for six months to a year before we really got go into the exact detail of how this is going to work because there's no real pressure at that point. Yeah. And I think it depends too, what is your plan going to be, right? Who you want to find and how much time you want to spend with someone, if they're going to be your partner, is probably very different than if it's you're going to sell 100% of your practice and you really don't have a work back and they're going to come in and take over, right? Like, I know you still want that person to be a good fit for your patients and your staff. Like, do not get me wrong. Like, I understand that is of utmost importance, but do they need to like be like on the same page as me about everything? No, right? Like, we don't have to be best friends for me to sell 100% of your practice or, you know, for you to sell 100% of your practice to this person if you don't have to work with them forever. If you're going to work long-term with this person, then yeah, those things become more important or a partnership for sure. Or, you know, if you feel like they're just not really a good fit for a valid reason, but because you wouldn't go travel with them doesn't make them a bad fit to buy your practice. Sometimes we list practices and we sell them and we search for buyers and in the same exact situation you just talked about where there's not a lot of time in between these meetings, right? Because we're just trying to figure out and the seller's trying to figure out, is this person a good fit? And I've, you know, got a couple other people and I want, I, I want to be out as soon as possible. And so I need to move on something. And every now and then we'll get a client who is selling 100% is eager to be done, 
wants to sell the practice and start something new. And they're just super picky about the person who is coming through for non-valid reasons, right? Not that they can't clinically do it or, but I didn't like the way their name looked or, you know, and, and then that is a clue in for me that you're not really ready to sell or you're not serious about selling because there's no you know, you want this person to be successful. They're clinically able, they're financially able, they have ties to the hometown. Like they've got all these boxes checked that would appear that they're a good fit and you are being picky. So also it's one of those things where if you find yourself finding negatives or if you find yourself being overly critical, like why are you doing that? Is that because there's something in you that's holding back that maybe you're not ready to sell or make this transition or not ready to do what you think maybe logically you know you need to do, but you're just not not there yet. Those are always things that I, it's the non-financial, non-business part. It's like the psychologist part of this role is like seeing people and how they react there. So I think just being honest with yourself too and and kind of trying to make sure that you, the reasons why you're interviewing this person or spending time with this person and, and what's your ultimate goal with these meetings too. Yeah, and, and, and reiterate this too is, is, you know, we like, we like to look in the mirror and we like us. We like to hang around with people that, that are like us, that laugh like us, that are same sense of humor, same drive, same religion. Uh, typically, we, we, we like people like us. And the reality is in a partnership, they're not always like us. And they may not be exactly the same, especially probably my biggest pet peeve is my senior guys that have 30 years of clinical experience that are on the board of this and they lecture for this group and that group and they're getting kind of picky about this associate that they're just you know they don't make them like they used to you know they they're not going to work as hard and he's got three kids or four kids or she's got this and she's asking for this i'm like you're not going to find yourself there's a lot of creativity too that especially in these as these practices are bigger that remember we don't have to always sell half we can sell percentages based on what they do. So just keep in mind that you're really looking for the person and then we can figure out the financial component of how it's going to work and get past it. They may not do as much as you and work as hard as you, but frankly, the, you may make more money than them. If you work harder, you're going to get paid more. That's how any partnership should work. Well, and let's be honest, like you didn't start like that, right? Like right. you were the right. associate who didn't know anything and made all the mistakes and, you know, right. so you know, there's a little bit of grace that we have to give there too, that we all didn't start out, you know, perfect. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thinking about my two teenagers that basically have slept, uh, you know, through whatever hours. I hope that they graduate past that. And at some point they're up at a reasonable hour and work hard. Cause if they were interviewing right now, they would not get hired and probably be fired. And I would be like, that maybe you're a little bit jealous of that huh? right now, Charles. That's what I'm going to say. You're a little bit jealous that they're sleeping so much. Okay. Cause I am. It worked so hard. This is such a stressful time during COVID. It's so, so stressful. hard. <laughs> um, yes, I agree, Christy. We get into this drive and we're really good and all, you know, down the road, but don't, Lower, I guess it's sad to say lower expectations a little bit for someone who's 25, 30 years younger than you potentially that they may be different and that's okay. And it's part of your job is to mentor and groom them and to push them a little bit. And that's what these interviews are about to see if you can get them there. Yeah. I think just be having good expectations and not setting the bar so high that you're guaranteed to be disappointed. I don't want to say set the bar low because that's not. Right, right, right. I know. 
I hear you. Objective, right? Like, let's know, like, okay, they're going to have faults. They're going to have the rose colored glasses on. They're going to think it's easier. And I know they're going to hit problems. And I know that they're going to have to go through all the same struggles I went through, maybe less because they're buying this established practice that has processes, right? But it's like the I walked uphill in snow five. So speaking of roadblocks, you and I were chatting as we prepared for this episode and roadblocks are inevitable in communications, right? So I think we also have to know that we're humans and know that any communication is going to be kind of challenges and mistakes and we're both going to make them and we just kind of have to give each other a little bit of grace too. It's not going to be perfect, right? Like you're not going to be flawless in how you practice and what you plan and you won't cover everything or maybe you'll go into a subject you didn't think you'd talk about and that's okay. Listen, I was interviewing you. You you got to tell a couple of these stories because I, I know that these doctors, they love the stories. And so go through a couple of the stories of just some of the, the seller clients. And I, and I know our sellers listen to this. So they're like, is Chrissy talking about me? I swear to God, she's talking about me. Honey, I think Chrissy's making fun of me on the podcast. It's love. I, this is with love. Okay. This is for training exercises that we do this. So no names, no locations. Yeah. And what's so funny is oftentimes people be like, were you talking about us in the episode? I'm like, no, no, but that- no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So I will give a couple of examples. So first I'm going to talk about, and I think it's what's interesting about what we do is we see both perspectives, right? So this is actually me working with a buyer client, but it was a seller's communication in these initial meetings that kind of caused him to like have his change of heart. So when I first talked to this buyer, he was like gung ho, like he thought he clicked with this seller. He just thought it was the best practice. They got along the best. So they like clearly knocked those first meetings out of the park. But he had a couple opportunities he was looking at and this seller knew that. And he was also very busy. He has a full-time job and he's got a family and it was taking a while to get information from like all the practices and he was sending calls with us. And so just a lot was going on. Well, in the meantime, since we talked the first time, this seller just like started emailing him, calling him, texting him like, hey, are you, you know, and it was always to like share something positive about the practice, right? And so he started feeling like a little pressured and a little bit like, you're kind of trying to oversell it now. Like, I'm not sure that like now I feel like maybe there's something wrong and you're like in a rush. And, you know, that wasn't something he ever talked to her about, right? He didn't go to her and be like, why are you doing this? He just kind of started feeling like he needed to separate himself from that opportunity. And so again, who knows why that was the case? My gut is that she really liked this person and then felt the need to kind of like keep it going and just was a little bit overzealous, right? So again, intentional communication, we want you to stay involved, but don't like call five times after the first date. Like you need to like let it breathe a bit. Yeah. And so again, back to my dating, because this is about me. Um, When I (laughs) was single, you know, uh, where I was married for 15 years and I got into the single, you know, game, my brother was a young single guy. And he was like, give me your phone. He's like, that's the worst text message ever. Don't do that to her. Are you kidding me? You would call- No, this is not how you communicate in dating. No. He's like, that's not how it works. Do this, do this. It's like, I don't know. I was new to the dating game and communicating, you know, via, via text. And so I was in this example. I was the crazy one in the relationship. And so, you know, when you think about your client on the seller, she's the crazy one because she doesn't know how to, that's her first time in the date the first time she's trying to sell. And so now she's coming across just the wrong way. And so with the plan, it's like, look, I've got an amazing practice. It's just an attitude. 
here's my collections. Here's my overhead. I think you're a great fit. I've got a plan for your interest. If not, I'm a market to other people and let me know your interest level, but it's still on the market, you know, make it desirable and to play your hand correctly. Yeah. And the, and the communications that you should be having aren't like, Hey, let me tell you this other amazing thing about my practice. It's like, Hey, was watching the Cowboys play and I know you're a fan or whatever that keeps you in communication without it always being about the practice. Another thing that you just said that makes me like, you need to know this is like punctuation and like text and like emails, like buyers will like overanalyze what you write, right? So like sentences that ends with periods seem real firm, right? Even if that's not the case or short responses on text, right? Like if you're not a texter, make that known real early. Like I'm horrible at text. You'll think I'm mad. I just really honestly am not a good texter. I don't keep up with my phone. Like because buyers will overanalyze those things. So be real intentional and thoughtful when you respond via email or if you're a texter, like how you're texting, because they will overthink that too. Even like with our our team, you know, between our NDP team and our new client team, there's about 20 that that I'm kind of communicating with. It's usually a part of those first interviews or the of the team members will say, okay, sometimes Charles, he'll just send these very direct short sentences with do this. You know, he's not me. He has a good heart. Sometimes he's just multitasking with 50 other things in the day and he wants to get it off his list. And so understand, you know, he's not being mean there, you know, and, and I know that's how some of sometimes that we are in life is just, you're just responding at that second. And so you need to know that don't read as a seller, don't read too much into the buyer because they could come back short. And then as the buyer, don't read too much into the seller. If they come back short, just, I know we're talking today that we can, you know, see each other. And that's how I think that we can communicate effectively. We're almost reading each other better than if we were just on the phone call that we didn't see our faces. We want you to do this. We try to have as many of these conversations to have, if not all of them, on something as simple as a, a FaceTime that you can see each other when you're not next to each other. Okay. Yeah. You can read body language and you can do that. Yeah. And my other example is a, a seller I'm working with right now. And he had some great meetings with his buyer, you know, over time. And it was kind of one that was like, they were able to be a little slower, um, but they almost like had too many initial conversations where they like had a hard time then like breaking into like what to talk to talk about next. And it kind of felt like they were just kind of like treading water in each one. And it wasn't until at a conversation of like, okay, here's how we move this forward. Here's how we kind of go forward. Because once you kind of get in that stalled out phase, you start reading into things that are being said that really probably have no meaning, right? And we are third parties or anyone like, you know, even your spouse, right? Like, let's say you're having meetings and your spouse isn't part of those and someone says something, like bounce it off someone else, right? And that's what we're used for, right? And in this example, the client was like, hey, we were meeting and, you know, the buyer said this, right? And typed out the sentence and they said, and I think this means blah, 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 right? And I was like, I don't get that at all. I think she was just saying she needed to check with her team, right? Like, but you have as a seller, all of these emotions and there's all this writing on the line that you want these things to mean things they don't. And so I think it's also just like being a little more objective and like not reading into things. Now, there are absolutely times you need to read into stuff. Like people aren't returning your calls. They're rude. They, you know, are pushing you off. Like, 
there are cues, body language and otherwise, that you need to, to know. But don't get inside your head too much and be the only one who's interpreting these things. Like try to have a sounding board, us, spouse, friend, colleague, and kind of keep that in mind too. And, you know, and I'm thinking about your client and even the client that I spoke to this week is it was funny because he's like, Charles, I, I felt really bad. This guy's from like North Carolina and he's bringing, he's had this person coming back hometown. He said he shadowed his office for 10 days, 10 days straight. And he goes, I felt bad because he was going back to school and he goes, you know, doctor or whatever. Do you think that we can, you know, get an associate agreement together? And he goes, I've had like 20 meetings with this person and the, all they're asking for is an associate agreement. I'm like, I feel like I'm behind. I'm like, you're behind because I just need a little push. I was like, oh, don't worry, I can push you. But yeah, I think it's appropriate at the 20th meeting or before that at least there's an associate agreement laid out for this poor young man who's $400,000 in debt coming back with his newly married wife to the hometown where he's going to practice anyway. Let's get a nice little associate agreement in, in the hands of this young man and, and uh, take care of it. And it goes back to that episode, like, you know, 56. It's like being the leader, like the buyer's waiting for you to be like, and what's the next step? Like, what are we doing next? Um, and if you are too caught up in just, you know, kind of having the relationship and building that and you forget like, oh yeah, that would be the next step. Right. And again, you don't do this often. The buyer doesn't either. So there's a, you know, it's stepping through very easily, hopefully. Well, it's it's uh, after a few years of dating Roxanne, the little nudge uh, from the, in the relationship part, like we are going to get married one day, right? <laughs> like, but we, you know, sometimes the old guy just needs a little nudge, you know. So, <laughs> buyers, if you're listening, sometimes you got to give the old guy a little nudge, you know. So don't push it, but know that sometimes we just need nudges. <laughs> and on that final <laughs> analogy. Uh, okay, thank you. I think I think I only got like four of the dating analogies in it. Just maybe four. That's it. If you listen throughout the other episodes, you'll hear them sprinkled in. I promise, fellow listeners. All right, team. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for joining us on episode fifty-seven, and uh, we love doing what we do. So make sure to share this with others if they are uh, in need of a transition or in need of some education. It's a big, important topic with lots of little pieces and we love to talk to you about it. So subscribe to Transition Talk wherever you listen to your podcast and uh, like us on social. Until next time, friends. All right, see you guys.